Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Since I was unable to release an episode last Monday, and uh, I will be out of town for the holidays next week, I'm going to release this one today, on Friday, literally 15 minutes after recording it, to sort of split the difference for you. This is sort of a makeup episode for last Monday, and also this will be kind of the de facto episode for this Monday. Uh, I will hopefully have a new episode for you again the first week of December. To today's episode, I don't think very many people 20 years ago would have imagined that maps or uh, location technology in general would prove to be so strategically important and structurally integral to the internet and modern technology in general as we're coming to know it, as it actually turns out it has been. And one person who might have had that vision that location technology would be so influential was Barry Glick, the founding CEO of MapQuest. Barry was there in the very early days when maps and computers first met, and he has stayed in the location tech industry through the emergence of GPS mobile devices, and now into the current future of driverless cars and the like. I literally couldn't think of a better person to tell us the whole story of the emerging mapping technology from the earliest web to today. It's really a fascinating story that I think has been, as I say, severely underreported, or at least a little bit underreported. But to uh, fill in all of the excellent details, please enjoy this Excellent conversation with Barry Glick. Barry Glick, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Sure. I'm excited to be here. So we always get started uh, by asking people a little bit about you know their, their educational background and things like that. And for you, it's especially uh, important because, um, among other things, uh, you have a, a Ph.D. in geography. Correct. So my question would be, when you when you get a PhD in geography, would this be in the in the early eighties? That's right. Yep. When you have when you have that degree, yeah, eighty one, I believe. When you have that degree in nineteen eighty one, what are you thinking that you're going to be able to do with it? Well, that's a good question. That same question my parents asked me, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, kind of a funny little. Factoid is that uh, fewer students enter university, at least in the United States, knowing they're going to major in geography than any other subject except for anthropology. Wow! So at least at least we're not last; we're next to last. But uh, you know, and this part of my story, it, you know, I hear a lot from other people too. So I know it's um, it's not unique. But um, you know, I was one of those kids who was a total map head. You know, I uh, got in trouble in elementary school for um, using a, a sharp point of a pen or something to uh, gouge out maps on my desk, my classroom desk. I, um, you know, always was obsessed with, um, and, and I say obsessed, uh, with maps. I, I, I did not know 
you know, where that would lead. Uh, as I'm sure you know, you know, if you if you keep going and end up with a PhD or go through that program, uh, of course, your your um, advisors, professors hope that you're going to um, move into an academic career. So, I mean, that was the direction I, I was headed. Uh, geography, you know, while it is not the most popular discipline, um, you know, there is there are a decent number of universities that still teach it and um, have jobs, but. I, I also had a practical kind of background because um, I, I also got a master's in uh, city planning from Cornell along the way. And during that time, I um, spent a lot of time in something that was relatively new called computer graphics. Uh, and um, I always thought that, uh, hey, this is perfect for mapping, obviously, uh, the graphics, graphical aspect of it um, to automate it or digitize it. Uh, so, you know, I, I took a large number of computer science classes um, as well as uh, my geography classes. So I was hoping I could do something that um, somehow brought those two together. Uh, and, um, you know, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to, to do that. So I started out in kind of the first step of an academic career, decided that uh, that was not going to be the direction I wanted to go. And um, you know, was entrepreneurial, and you know, started out working for a small company, and then uh, started my own. Well, before before we get to uh, spatial data sciences, just just um, lay lay out the the land for us in a sense. I mean, even by the mid '80s, you know, graphics on computers, personal computers at least, are are not very good. I mean, Silicon Graphics comes out with higher end workstations. Um, that can handle graphics and things like that. But so lay out for us, as in the 80s, I'm assuming, mapping and, and geography and things like that come together with computing. Like what are, what are some of the, the things that people are, 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 are starting to explore as those two things intersect? Well, from a mapping point of view, and, uh, you know, and it's, it, I think it's useful to think of this in, in two different uh, kind of uh, domains. One is kind of coming at it from the graphics angle of it, which is, you know, the, the, the visualization part of it, which is cartography, uh, you know, from a map academic, academics uh, point of view. Uh, and so that's, you know, the one side. The other side is, you know, the data and um, analytics part of it, uh, which, which um, you know, is the, quote, geography uh, part of it which later on kind of morphs into something called geographic information systems about managing the data, ha handling the data, manipulating it, and then you've got the visualization piece. So uh, on the visualization side, you, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. There were specialized devices. I mean, we started on from a, you know, first of all, we still thought, at least initially, um, hard copy was, was the most important form of output. So you know, devices that produced hard copy. And literally, of course, the first was, uh, the first that I had experience with was, was a, um, you know, basically an alphanumeric line printer. And uh, somebody uh, who, who was quite uh, bright created a program um, written in Fortran or COBOL or something like that that created maps from line printer, uh, using line printer graphics, which mm -hmm. were literally over, over printing of of letters, numbers, and symbols in a way that produced a shaded kind of black and white map 
just using a line printer. And, and we thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Uh, and obviously, you know, very, very crude. Um, there, there were some plotters, you know, that could produce, of course, fine lines and vectors. Um, and, you know, those were primarily found in kind of specialized um, engineering drawing and, 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 and related um, kind of um, application areas. Um, and then on the what was called the soft copy side or the display side, uh, you know, we started out with Tektronics displays. And the interesting thing about Tektronics displays, you know, is or was that they're, tr they're true vector displays, which fits more naturally into kind of how cartography uh, is um, stored, managed, and, and kind of was, um, you know, drawn by mm -hmm. human beings, mm -hmm. which is, you know, drawn as lines, not drawn as rasters. So um, the, the, the tectronics displays, which were black and white or more accurately green and white displays, uh, you know, were used to create at least the first uh, maps on screens uh, that I was used to seeing. And, of course, the, these were not color and... Um, as I said, they were they were uh, vector drawings. So that's kind of you know at least in my experience how kind of we uh, my first exposure how things evolved. Um, so how, yeah, yeah, that, that was back in the eighties, in the early eighties or mid eighties. The um, so you you did mention that that you you got an entrepreneurial streak and and you you started a company called um spatial data sciences can you tell me um what that company was designed to do sure um i, I and just as you know kind of background that wasn't my first gig okay um, if i'm skipping I, things I, please yeah f feel free oh, to oh no me. no no um that 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 was sort of my my jumping off point entrepreneurially but um i i started out working for other people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which uh, you know I kind of had to do um, to to make some money, and um, I I worked for a couple of companies that were developing some some of the early uh, I'll call them applications of computer mapping um, and geographic data. Uh, for example, we um, company that I worked with uh, in Boston uh, developed. <clears throat> A, a little business around drawing very high quality maps for um, insurance companies and uh, marketing firms that wanted to get a, a, a geographic visualization of you know the data for example the success of direct marketing campaigns and look look at kind of where the responses were coming from and where they weren't coming from and getting a very quick uh, you know quick view of it through a high-quality map that could be shown on a boardroom. So we used a very high-quality uh, plotter, and we created this and charged them, you know, several hundred or thousands of dollars, and we, we kind of developed this into a little little bit of a business. Um, that So I did that um, for a couple of different uh, companies. I moved down to Washington, D.C., um, right at the start of the 80s, and if people uh, remember back uh, in those days, we um, elected a new president in the United States, um, Ronald Reagan, around that time, and a lot of money started pouring into uh, defense, and um, there was a lot of interest um, 
in the early 80s around um, all, all the kind of various aspects of, um, of computer mapping, let's say, in terms of um, being able to interpret mm-hmm. uh, maps and aerial photographs, digitize them, um, store them, retrieve them, display them, transmit them, analyze them, etc. So, you know, they were that that money that uh, was coming into some of the uh, technology companies in those days, you know, was being used to kind of advance the state of the art. So I got I got uh, involved. I was hired by a company to to um, run a group, uh, which was based down in um, down in Virginia that had funding from different government agencies uh, to do some of this stuff. So. I did that, and I thought, you know, hey, this is this is kind of cool, um, but you know, I think there are applications outside of defense and government um, that could benefit from the technology. So that that was the impetus to start spatial data sciences. Was basically, and in fact, um, I, I was extremely fortunate because uh, there was a Business Week article written about spatial data sciences shortly after it was formed because they decided to do an article on this new technology of uh, digital mapping. And um, I happened to know they interviewed one of the government agencies, U.S. Geological Survey, which is responsible for civilian mapping in the United States. Uh, They interviewed them and asked them, you know, who's doing this stuff, and they mentioned my name. So um, I kind of got my picture in in Business Week as a startup, and... um, you know the 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 headline was something like you know moving compu- moving computer mapping from government to business or something like that. Well, that's which was um, kind of our our tagline. Let me I'm, let me interrupt you real quick because yeah, for our purposes please. that's really inter- interesting to me because so uh, in the eighties you you have this uh, this notion that for lack of a better word um, this new digital mapping technology could have consumer or at least I suppose commercial applications yes exactly okay and so tell me tell me what spatial data sciences uh, actually did okay so what spatial data sciences actually did was uh, create created uh, or developed software and initially these were custom software projects for um, companies who you know had a need to uh, either manage or use um, data that was geographic in nature meaning you know tied to location essentially so uh, some examples of what we did uh, was uh, for example we did we wrote uh, software to do redistricting of legislative districts um, which obviously uses geographic data, demographic data, uh, other kinds of data, and, and uh, you know, helps do kind of what-if analysis of uh, different types of um, uh, different arrangements of, of districting. And, you know, that the natural sort of analog of that on the commercial side was sales territory design. So we did, for a major pharmaceutical firm, uh, Pfizer, uh, we built a, with a partner of ours. We built a uh, sales territory optimization uh, software package. Uh, we also added computer mapping to the airline reservation systems. So in those days, you know, those were obviously mainframe-based programs that did, you know, um, 
um, uh, reservation systems and you know what some of the tra- and travel agents would use these on their desks uh, before there was disintermediation in that business. But uh, travel agents had a need when somebody called up and said, um, hey, "I'm going to a, I'm going to a meeting or a convention in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and I want to stay in a hotel near the convention center." They had no way to kind of know where the hotels you know were located. There was no, you know, Google Maps or MapQuest to look right, this stuff right. up. So, you know, we put it on the, we put it right at the terminal of the um, of the um, travel agent uh, through the airline reservation system. So that's the kind of thing we did. The same thing with real estate, for real estate agents to have maps on their screens. So we were basically putting maps on people's screens, and you know, before the days of really of PCs, or certainly before the before the time of the web. Um, you know, using client-server technology was the way to achieve that, and um, the clients were basically somewhat dumb terminals. Um, we're, uh, this might be getting out of the chronology a bit, but I have to imagine that briefly CD-ROMs would have been a big part of that as well. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out when that came in. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that um, uh, I, I can remember certainly that in the days of spatial data science, um, you know, we, we were not in the CD-ROM business, and I don't think CD-ROMs were, were around um, in the late 80s, um, because in 1990, um, the company that, um, uh, you know, we became, we became Geosystems, which was the company that led to MapQuest, and, and in that company, in Geosystems, uh, we did a lot of CD-ROM mapping. Um, that was a, a uh, you know one of the, one of the primary things that we did um, in the in the early days of that company. So that would have been in the early nineties. So tell me about um, tell me about Geosystems and 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 bring me into the nineties and and bring me to the idea that becomes MapQuest. Okay, so so you know the the thing that led to to you know that sort of got the the, the Balls moving or rolling or whatever the right word is, the wheels turning. Right. Uh, the wheels turning. Right. It was um, a, somebody came to me in um, well, sometime in in eighty eight, eighty nine time frame, and um, came in with a, a, a what in those days passed for a portable computer, which was really something luggable. Uh, and he showed me on his on his screen. He showed me um, basically a program that could calculate routes, the best way to get from one city to another city in the United in the United States. Uh, calculate the uh, best route. Mm. And I mean, today we think, gee, well, isn't that obvious? Well, no, it right, wasn't obvious. Right, right. And he showed it on a screen. It was, uh, you know, a very very crude map. It didn't look like a map. It just looked like a bunch of squiggly spaghetti on the screen. But I said, uh, "Gee, this is interesting. You know, w- you know, what do you think the application of this is?" And he said, "Well, automobile clubs. I mean, they have to. You know, they as as a service, the AAA and other automobile clubs figure out the best route for people to take. You know, who are club members, and I can automate it." And I said, well, that's interesting. Let's go and talk to the automobile clubs. So we went and talked to all of the automobile clubs. And it turned out that, you know, doing it by hand, which is the way they were doing it, um, was expensive. 
um, in terms of people's time and, and the, the materials and so on. So um, we thought, yeah, this, uh, this, this makes a lot of sense. So at, at that point, we um, decided rather than develop a custom product for somebody that we would actually create a product ourselves and it would be a custom customized routing and mapping product. So uh, at that point, um, we thought we needed a partner. And uh, we went around and talked to the mapping companies, the companies that had roadmaps, because part of the idea was uh, to give people something they were used to seeing, which means something that really looks like a roadmap, which meant that we would scan roadmaps and then, you know, the the route that was calculated would be overlaid on top of the scanned roadmaps so that what it, you know, looked like the uh, customer got would be a normal roadmap with a uh, highlighted route on top of it to show them the route. So, uh, and that's what the auto clubs really wanted. So we talked to the um, the publishers, which include you know people like Rand McNally mm-hmm. and, and the others, and uh, one of them, which was not you know certainly not the most well known, but um, uh, there was a, a company that had a, a content library of roadmaps in the United States uh, was a company called R. R. Donnelly, which happens to be you know at that at that time the largest printing company in North America. They also uh, did maps. So, uh, it, it, you know, to cut kind of a long story short, we, we entered into a joint venture t- with them to develop this custom mapping and routing product for the auto clubs and others. And um, they um, eventually bought, it, bought out my partner's shares in spatial data sciences, and, and um, I became the CEO of the company that was part of R.R. Of Donnelly that was called Geosystems, which, you know, um, mm-hmm obtain the rights to to the uh, routing and mapping uh, product. So where does... Actually, let me ask this a different way. Um, So this is probably uh, early to mid-90s. That's right. when When do you remember first seeing the web, and more importantly, when does seeing the web and thinking of adding maps to the web sort of come come together? Well, uh, you know, I, I honestly can't say exactly when I remember first seeing the web. Um, I would guess it was, you know, sometime in 1995. Um, I, I'm sure mm-hmm. you and the people in the audience probably, you know, know those dates a lot better than I than I can right, remember. Right, that, that would be the time but of Netscape we, and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the time. Uh, we we. You know, I think from, you know, probably from what I just described, um, and, and of course when we started Geosystems, I, I, I mentioned the auto clubs, but, you know, we, we branched out um, into many other applications that had a need for, for um, mapping and routing um, delivered digitally uh, through client-server networks. And, um, you know, the first, our salespeople uh, who were out on the road um, carrying along their uh, computers, they um, had a need for uh, being able to demonstrate our mapping and routing technology. And, you know, w- one approach, of course, w- is, is doing something canned. Uh, another approach is to, you know, access 
access the servers, which, you know, especially in those days, you know, it was kind of hit and miss in terms of, you know, whether you'd get a modem to sign on correctly and, you know, you'd have the right bandwidth, et cetera. So th that was fraught with, with um, risk. And, um, and uh, one, of, one of our people, and I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, hey, you know, this, the World Wide Web would be a perfect place for us to put up our, our mapping and routing technology so that our salespeople, when, when they're on the road, can, you know, just, just um, you know, be able to um, demo log on to the web and, yeah, and show the maps and routes live and in action. And we thought, hey, that's, that's a fantastic idea. And, in fact, um, and, uh, let's see if I can remember. The first name that we had for, uh, for this, uh, putting, after we, we, you know, we were able, and because of, you know, because of the software that we had developed, which was you know, specifically set up for client-server-based sort of um, architectures, uh, it, it, it wasn't, um, you know, it fit pretty nicely into the web paradigm um, of having, you know, kind of a, a, a very light client and the server doing the bulk of the work uh, on the back end. Um, so, you know, we, we, we were able to, I think, we, I think initially we tried to call it WebMapper, I believe. Um, <clears throat> and so we, um, you know, on, on a date in the early spring of, of 96, we decided, you know, we'd, we'd launch this and we would, you know, what the hell, we'd open it up for the public mm. um, since we thought it was, it was pretty cool, and you know, uh, we didn't see any reason why not, why we wouldn't do it. And you know, we did that, and um, you know, we got a huge reaction from the public, which of course brought down our servers and or serve single server, and we added more and more servers, and we brought those down, and you know, it just it just snowballed from that. So, but, uh, just it was originally set up to be a tool for demoing. Okay, yeah, that's what I wanted to make clear. So it was originally sort of an internal tool, <laughs> but you, yeah. you 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 were just like, well, let's let's just make it available to everybody. And then it turned out that when everybody discovered it, all of a sudden, everybody loved it. Yeah, and and uh, part of it was you know the the um, kind of great pent up demand for map information and uh, routing uh, that 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 certainly. Uh, was there, but another thing uh, which which generated a lot of free publicity for us, which um, you know people may not realize <clears throat> uh, in terms of the novelty of it was um, back back in those days w when the web was first starting. Um, you know, basically most websites were a collection of static pages, and, and in fact, you know, I think some people refer to it kind of as brochureware. You would take a marketing brochure and you would put it on the put the pages up on the web and yes there were there were, there was branching, so you could choose some stuff and you know it would navigate you through the pages. Our MapQuest from you know day one, uh, you know basically did not have any pre-generated pages. Everything was calculated you know based on um, the person's location, uh, so that the map was you know generated from our servers. Based on um, you know what was around that that um, that person's location, whatever uh, address they typed in or whatever route they they wanted. So it, you know this was an example of the web being used for something dynamic, 
uh, rather than static. And because of that, you know, we got a lot of free uh, publicity and free press. Right, because what you're saying is is that the 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 MapQuest site you wouldn't go and select a drop down menu of let's see Florida, let's see Miami. It w- it would be exactly. enter in an address and then you'd get the map generated for you. Exactly. Exactly right. And also, yep. it's interesting to me, you, you're saying that you launched from day one with the routing feature? Because I would have assumed that that would have been something that came later. Uh, it's, yeah, it's hmm. a good question. I, 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 I do know, and, and there are, I'm sure people who can correct me on this, but I, I do know that, um, y- you know, certainly initially the feature was, I mean, the, the, the dominant feature was the mapping, mm-hmm. uh, not mm-hmm. the routing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we considered the routing kind of a trip maker or some you know specialized feature and 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 did not initially emphasize it. So um, I, I, I it it could be that that came later. I, I honestly can't remember sure, you sure. know the exact chronology, but I do know that it it was not initially emphasized. But when we saw the uh, numbers in terms of how people were using the site and and so many you know great preponderance of users were generating routes, you know, we, we, we quickly made sure because, you know, actually the, the, the maps and the routes kind of took place on separate on servers. We were able to kind of divide that functionality up that way. So we, you know, made sure we added enough servers to handle the calculations that have to be done to calculate uh, uh, routes because that's what people were using it for. So let me back up real quick because we're we're talking about launching MapQuest as a as a business, or you're you're, you're discovering that you can this can be a business all on its own that that faces the consumer. Um, you're getting your data from RR Donnelly, right? I mean, so that you you already have that data. You don't have to go out and, and find other sources or anything. No, no, okay. uh, no. Sorry, um, yeah, I kind of confused that with okay, yeah. mentioning the, please, the please explain. Donnelly. Sure. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, in in the in the in the uh, I'll call it triptych, even though that's really a name that belongs to AAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the Auto Club mapping world, where there's a hard copy uh, produced, we use the R. Donnelly maps as the road maps as a background to, to you know have them have the printed maps appear like a uh, an actual road map with with the custom route highlighted on top of it. But that's all. That was used for, and I'll call it a dumb raster background, okay? Okay. That was not true data. So the data, when you, you know, in order to calculate calculate a route, you need actual map data in the form of a network, vectors and links and stuff like that. So that, that did not come from R.R. Donnelly. And initially, that came from the U.S. government. Um, the Census Bureau has a... Um, had a digital database of the United States of every street paid for by taxpayers' dollars called Tiger. And that was a source of, you know, pretty much anyone who was working in, in this field um, back in those days used this uh, data source uh, called Tiger. Now, Tiger was good, was, was created for demographics, really, and, and, and is good for address searching, but not, not particularly good for routing, route calculation. So some of the basic stuff like one-way streets, uh, you know, w- was missing. So um, just about at this same time, um, a couple of companies appeared um, who 
did um, who produced um, routable databases for um, the U.S., North America, and Europe later on. Um, one of these companies was called Navigation Technologies, which became Navtech, which became part of Nokia, right. and is now called Here. And the other one, which was te- uh, called uh, well, Geographic Data Technologies in the United States and ETAC. And anyway, there were two two companies that did that. So when when uh, you know when we got serious about this and launched as as a, a routing service, we became one of the first. Um, licensors of this um, map data from uh, navigation technologies or navtech and um now that uh, again uh, it's becoming a business and you're you're facing consumers and 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 you you take on the ceo role um what is the business model that you're imagining is it is it going to be licensing is it going to be selling ads is it going to be selling subscriptions what 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 do you what do you do when you start to turn this into a real business Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we were, first of all, we were lucky enough uh, or fortunate enough that um, when we started, of course, we we had this client-server mapping business uh, kind of going on, and it was, you know, doing well and generating some profit for us. So um, that, that, that was kind of nice, you know, while the, um, the web uh, business models were able to, uh, to mature. So, you know, we had a, we kind of had a three-pronged approach. Um, and, and I'll start with the weakest one, which, which um, you know, never turned out to be um, a positive contributor, um, um, you know, in the early days, let's say, um, and, and that was advertising. Mm. I mean, they're just, you know, at that point, there really wasn't a strong advertising market and we couldn't sell, you know, we, we, we and, and, you know, we can talk more about this later, but we, um, you know, it, it, it was difficult to sell all the ad space that we had. We'll put it that way. But uh, what we w- were able to do successfully is is two things. One is to um, provide a um, a way for companies who wanted to show their own um, stores or dealers or um, facilities on on a map, and and also give people who use the web directions to those stores. Um, we, we you know we had a um, a way for those people to, you know, as as is obviously done so much today using Google Maps and, and others, for them to, you know, basically um, rely on our mapping back end, uh, but with their own data and, you know, with their own customers using, using our mapping back end mm-hmm. within their own websites. So that model, you know, worked uh, uh, extremely well, and I think we had, uh, you know, over 2,000 customers or uh, clients who made use of our uh, mapping and routing um, in that way on on their own websites. And again, these are uh, so we these were, are like um, travel booking sites or or yeah. yellow pages sites, things like that. Hotel chains, mm-hmm. uh, car dealers, uh, restaurant chains, uh, anyone who had a presence on the web that had multiple locations and wanted to show them on a map and let their customers be able to generate driving directions to them. Um, so that was the, the second uh, method. And the third one was we, you know, we actually licensed our software and enabled other websites to basically have their own version of MapQuest on their, you know, behind their firewall and on their servers. 
and, and you know that was obviously a much bigger deal, and only a few you know very large companies uh, did it, like you know for example Yahoo and some of the other search engines in those days um, uh, who wanted to have mapping on on, on their site uh, licensed our our um, our software. Right. So all all of the portals like Excite and Yahoo and and those. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And yes. so in that case, it becomes you know part of that that portal arsenal of these are the things that we add like email like <laughs> horoscopes right. uh, you know right but whatever to to to, to have utility to, to keep the their users around on their sites yep exactly exactly so i are there other competitors to you out there at this point i'm talking about in the the mid to late 90s are there other people that are uh, competing with you to go after the yahoos and the excites and 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 other companies yeah so in the um in the in this area of serving other websites um, and and working with you know uh, the, the other uh, companies out there that wanted to have mapping and routing on, on their websites, we did have uh, you know one primary competitor um, uh, who's based on the West Coast, and the name of that company was Vicinity Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, the the advantage that we had over them uh, was that you know they never they never focused on the consumer facing part of it <clears throat> and, and you know it was kind of similar to the um, of course the big huge advantage that Google has today which is um, because their mass market um, um, you know basically their mass market use means that they can operate at a scale that um, serving, you know, for example, business users or enterprises, you know, all of the, all of the fixed costs uh, are pretty much paid for, you know, they're, they're sitting there with all this capacity to be able to generate maps and routes. So we, you know, we, we, we had, we had so much, um, you know, we had so many servers uh, to to handle our kind of um, you know our consumer traffic that uh, it, it, our costs of handling the business side of it were the the incremental costs were quite low so we could you know be very cost um, uh, competitive and you know our competitor vicinity didn't have that luxury so uh, it, uh, you know I think we were able to plus we you know everybody of course um, at this point a couple of years. Um, after launch, everybody had heard of MapQuest, so we got a lot of B2B business uh, through through that, and um, no one really ever heard of Vicinity. Right, you have the you have the brand recognition that they don't. Yeah, so we had the brand recognition, and so they were they were our our our, our main competitor, but they had a comparable product on the on the B2B side. So I, I don't I don't want to give short shrift to MapQuest's uh, story, but I want to bring us towards the the turn of the century um but to do that was in the late 90s is mapquest already starting to work with things like pda makers and and mobile companies and things like that and and taking it beyond the web are you already doing that in the late 90s yeah we um and and you know you could probably help me here in terms of chronology but sure we we I, I don't recall when Palm Pilot came out. It, what, um, I, I don't know the exact year, but there are Palm devices by ninety seven, ninety eight, and ninety nine. Okay. Certainly, yeah. So we you know we 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 had a partnership with Palm um, for uh, mapping on the Palm Pilot. Uh, we also uh, did a 
really great little project, which, uh, you know, talk about um, uh, what's the expression for when you're, you're too early. Um, uh, you never want to be the... Um, First to the uh, party. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there's a little bit more kind of colorful expression about that, yeah, about yeah. how you get hurt when you're the first sort of like leading the charge. And, uh, you know, we, we had a really nice little project on the Apple Newton uh, oh, together wow. with, uh, with Apple and Disney to, you know, have be a, you know, kind of an interactive travel guide to Disney um, resorts with maps and routes and stuff like that on, on, um, on the Apple Newton. And we thought it was, it was used in some advertising for the Apple Newton by Apple, uh, but, you know, <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, never really took off. It wasn't long for the world, right. Uh, handwriting recognition um, wasn't ready yet uh, it, it, at that time. But anyway, so, you know, and, you know, personally, I, I felt very strongly um, and, and um, said so uh, in whatever forms I, I, I was able to, to speak at that, um, you know, the natural place for um, maps and routes and location uh, in general was on a mobile device. Because mm-hmm. you know your location is critical when you're when you're moving, um, and you know, and that when when things became really mobile, uh, location is you know would be a, a you know absolutely essential um, capability to have. Um, so we kind of felt, and and then it was a matter of waiting for the plat the devices. Um, the the operating systems and, and, and the bandwidths to to catch up to be able to really have true you know mobile internet that actually worked so you know there were there were there were a lot of false starts and you know of companies including uh, you know ours and and others that try to you know a, a little bit too soon have um, mapping and routing on on mobile devices before there were smartphones. Well, getting us there, before we get there, um, let's just um, uh, give service to, to MapQuest. Um, uh, it, it, it sold to AOL um, in the year 2000, I think. And yes, correct. I, do you have any, uh, any, <laughs> anything you want to say about like, that process, about selling to AOL, about um, uh, leaving your time at, at MapQuest, anything like that? Well, I, I'll just say, uh, you know, first of all, we went public first in '99, um, and and um, you know that that was sort of at the at the height of the um, the bubble and boom. You know, I always felt that um, unlike <clears throat> unlike some other companies, I mean, we were not and 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 our you know the investment bankers and others um, actually criticized us. We were not a pureplay.com because um, you know we had we had significant um, B2B and other business, you know, outside of our MapQuest.com um, um, activity. So, AKA, you, know, you, we were, you had a real business model. <laughs> we had a real business, and and you know the the dot com business became a real business as well. But uh, we had we had other things, so we weren't a pure play dot com. So, uh, you know, in terms of valuations, we did very very well. But you know, we weren't as high as some of the other pure plays, but we did not fall either as. As, uh, as some of the pure plays did, you know, following the uh, burst of the bubble, and you know, the timing of the AOL acquisition was pretty good. Uh, you know, valuations were still um, strong, so you know, I certainly have no complaints about the 
the process. The one funny uh, story a little bit is that um, when we first started talking with AOL, uh, of course, we approached AOL as as we did with the other um, um, search engines and and um, uh, large web portals. Uh, we approached them as a customer and said, uh, "Hey, you know, boy, there's so many ways that mapping and routing can fit in what you're doing with real estate and um, uh, uh, travel and uh, many other things that that AOL kind of had um, on their portal." And we said, you know, you really should pay us a lot of money for this because, you know, we'll be giving a lot of benefit to you and your your um, your customers. Uh, meanwhile, at the same time, uh, they had, um, you know, prepared their presentation to us, and basically, it was it was the exact opposite. You know, they thought the relationship was, um, you know, would make sense that we would pay them a lot of money mm. because they we would they would give us access to their huge customer base and um, you know we'd be able to monetize that that uh, huge customer base so it, it was just kind of interesting that we approached it from kind of two opposite ends and you know probably the way the one way to resolve that was through through an acquisition because obviously we were not willing or able to pay them uh, what they thought um, and you know what they thought they should get and they weren't um, interested in being a traditional customer. So that's kind of how things, uh, I think, ended up on the um, acquisition side. Yeah, that was sort of the mood that AOL was in towards the end there, that uh, you pay us for the privilege of, of getting on, <laughs> getting in front of our users. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reframe again. So where we are now is you discover that taking maps – and putting them on the web has this intense and really successful consumer interest and consumer application. And we've mentioned also that you can see coming down the road is is uh, mobile computing. Um, you know what we now think of as smartphones, but at, at the day was were PDAs and other early handheld devices. But there's a third thing coming down the pike which is consumer GPS. So can you tell me about, about consumer GPS and, and how this is going to tie into what comes in, in the 2000s? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I, I, I guess um, when you refer to consumer GPS, I, I assume you're referring to uh, personal navigation devices. Well, you, you tell me because, uh, I mean, so I'm not, a lot of... Go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, the, it, it, it's interesting because the word GP, I mean, the, the, that has come to mean something now that's uh, in common kind of parlance that uh, is, is, you know, goes beyond kind of what it means literally, which is the global positioning system, which is the way that, um, you know, a device or anything can tell where it is by, you know, connecting to this satellite that uh, can figure out your latitude and longitude. I mean, that's that's all right, GPS right. is. So. So, um, you know, now obviously in order for, um, you know, when you're sitting at your laptop, um, you type in an address. I mean, this is the way MapQuest and other things work, and that's how, and if you want to do directions, you type in one address and another address, you know, but in a mobile device, um, you know, you want the device to be able to tell you, you know, where where it is, and uh, especially if you're giving directions dynamically 
so that as you're traveling, you're getting turn left, turn right, exactly. turn left, turn right at 60 miles an hour. You know, it, the, the, the vehicle or the device needs to know exactly where it is. So I think that's all kind of what's commonly referred to, I guess, as consumer GPS, right? Well, so, or, or, just, or just the everyday uh, person having access to this technology, which used to be uh, classified basically at the beginning, but also only in the, right. in the hands of the government originally. Right, right. So obviously, yes, this was a, a you know government paid for the launching of the satellites, and and um, you know always had and still has you know a higher accuracy um, uh, way of, of of using it than the civilian signals, which which allow a less less accurate but still very very useful kind of you know use of it to determine position. So you know I I think. And you can sort of see the pattern. I mean, the pattern matched the pattern in 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 handheld devices or cell phones or handheld communications or what happened with PDAs, which is uh, things started out with a dumb, you know, single-purpose uh, um, uh, piece of hardware. So the early, early days of of um, of and and I'll call it personal navigation. Um, the early days of personal navigation were, you know, a a GPS, and and I I, I guess the first days were were um, I'm trying to remember now the bad old days when you you had what was called a GPS puck, mm. which was a GPS receiver that had wires that attached to you know your um, your PC, mm. and you could sit there in your car, and I remember doing this and trying not to crash, uh, you could sit there in, in your car with a, with a laptop um, on the dashboard with a GPS puck on a wire hanging off of it and with like a CD-ROM-based mapping system uh, running, running it and being able to calculate, you know, your route. So obviously it was extremely clunky, uh, unreliable, uh, slow, um, but you know all the technology pieces, the ability to calculate um, your location, the ability to calculate the route and recalculate the route if you go off off of the route. Um, you know that was all that was all there. The map data was there. It, it was just putting it together in a package that um, you know was was you know not a kludge of wires and and um, connections and so on. Um, uh, that's what, and you know, really, Tom, Tom, and Garmin. I mean, you know, were able to come up with something that was a consumer-friendly way of putting that all together. But, but even you know, what they did in the early days was an unconnected device. I mean, it did not re require any connectivity to the internet. Right. Um, it, all the maps and everything was self-contained in the unit. So it, it wasn't until later, really, until uh, almost the days of, of smartphones that you really, you know, also have the connectivity, which then allows you to do things like also know what the traffic conditions are in, in real time, which you couldn't do without connectivity of some type. So you... And, and, and I'll just, just add one more thing. Sure. I mean, it, sort of in parallel with, with this on the personal side, the car companies, at the high-end car companies, were, of course, embedding uh, mapping and navigation into the dashboards of their cars, you know, albeit albeit for two thousand dollars, you know, um, as a as an add-on for your uh, right. to your car. But you know, they of course also have the ability to um, 
tie into the car's um, uh, internal systems to, to even have more accurate um, determination of position and, and so on in a sort of a smoother user interface. But that was also happening. Well, so I, I wanted to say you, you, you in the 2000s, you work at a uh work with a company called Webrasca and you're also at, at Navtech, which as you said was later acquired by Nokia. But so so the industry now is exploding that that um you know it's not map tech, it's it's like you said, navigation tech is becoming an industry in and of itself. And and does the industry do do people like you see that this is moving towards a place where it's absolutely personal navigation. It's it's knowing where I am on this planet at this exact second in time and how to get to where I want to go, and, and that's where the future is heading. Yeah, I, I, I think not only knowing kind of where you are at this second in time, but I think where a lot of the um, improvements are, are happening and, and will happen are more of, of around you know, what are all the different possibilities out there in terms of being able to, you know, not only get from one place to another, but to, to decide, you know, where to go, you know, based on what your, what your need or desire is at that moment in time, and then all the different ways that um, you, can, you can get there, uh, what's along the way that, you know, things that you might, um, you know, have an interest in, um, making sure that the information that you're given is the information that's uh, really important to you, which could include, you know, stuff that's, uh, you know, around whatever advertising or offers or, or, or you know, better yet, content that's, uh, that's actually useful in that context. And the context includes location. In other words, what's relevant where you are, but also what's relevant, like, in terms of the activity that you're doing you know what your intention is, um, so a little bit more, you know, connected to the context of your day, what's happening, and you know the ability, to, of course, to handle all modes of transportation, which we're, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of progress on now with with uh, mass transit, pedestrian, um, cycling, uh, sharing rides, uh, etc. Uh, so you know, I think all of that is is um, kind of coming together so and it's it's actually you know i think something that people are expecting and expect to have so uh, navigation technology is absolutely not a mature technology there are still a a bunch of vistas to explore is what you're saying yeah i absolutely believe that um and, and i think a lot of it is it's not just an isolated part of you know an isolated function that's not connected to everything else that you know, is happening in your life in terms of your social connections, you know, what your your shopping behavior, your needs, um, all of that. So um, I think that that connectivity and the understanding of context is where uh, a a lot of, um, you know, exciting developments are going to be happening. Um, a, f- a few more questions, uh, and the, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. But um, yep. most most consumers uh, in the consumer mind, um, Google Maps is what everyone thinks of. And so I'm just curious what you thought about what Google has achieved with with mapping and um, where they are uh, today, vis-a-vis the, the industry in general. Well, yeah, I mean, gee. Um... I, I think they've accomplished a tremendous 
amount. I mean, um, they've raised the bar um, extremely, you know, high uh, to anyone entering, and and also have contributed to to popularizing and and you know making their tools available to um, to anyone who you know is planning a service um, that involves maps and location and um, you know have made it very easy for people to 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 access their technology so you know they they keep raising the bar which is uh, you know fantastic um, they, they make it available to uh, to third parties uh, which is also fantastic what's a little less fantastic is the fact that of course you know they have a very very big built-in advantage with you know since Search is still such an important way for people to kind of enter location um, where you start with with a search to find something and then you want to, you know, get the directions of the map. Um, you know, it, they have a very, very strong kind of built-in advantage in that respect. So um, on, on, on the pure, let's say, mass market uh, consumer, especially kind of mapping, um, meaning you know, kind of the 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 solution that can satisfy 80% of the world's needs. Um, you know, they are very very difficult to um, you know to beat, um, and it makes sense to use them as much as possible for anybody who's entering this business or trying to do something to innovate on top of what they've done, rather than to you know uh, clearly reinvent the wheel. There, on the other hand, there are you know some open source things and some other innovative things that um, are a little bit different than what uh, what Google does. Um, and you know, I, I people continue to innovate and and will continue to do so, which is great because um, there there are certainly a bunch of things that Google uh, you know does not do uh, either because it's not part of the mass market and and um, it is too specialized or they're just you know, some things they haven't gotten to yet, I guess. Well, and, and um, actually... And I don't know if I answered your question or not. You did, and actually kind of in, in a similar vein in this in the way that, um, you know, now we're, we're promised this, this bright future of self-driving cars and things like that so that navigation tech is absolutely going to be central to what seemingly will be this completely new industry and things like that. Um, the... I'm not going to ask you to try to, to try to map out for me like how that'll that'll shake out, but um, I, I'm just—is there going to be some sort of um, like one standard um, mapping technology that's the gold standard that everyone uses? Is it still going to? Again, I just said that I wasn't going to ask you to map that out, but I'm just curious, like um, how you how you see. Um, navigation tech evolving if we do get to a world 10 years from now where um, we have self-driving cars and things like that. And, and so that navigation tech is, is almost the key, most valuable component of, of this new technology. Well, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, I don't think, um, I don't think there's going to be one gold standard of, uh, technology that people will, you know, sort of adopt as as kind of a standard. Um, there's just there are too many um, different interests and actors involved. <clears throat> um, you know, obviously, if we're talking about 
cars. Um, there were the car companies, the OEMs, um, the the networks themselves that are needed to you know for the communication piece and, and certainly want to be involved. There are the device companies, um, and and yeah, and then there's Google who who certainly like to be. Um, uh, and, and you know, if Google is going to have their own cars, um, there's certainly plenty of you know companies that are going to want to compete with them. And you know, those companies will not want to have Google inside of their cars, you know, um, being the control center of of, of their um, self-driving uh, autonomous cars. So there'll be you know certainly I think continued um, continued pressure and, and incentive to have uh, independent solutions that, you know, some of which will be sort of um, the Switzerland type, you know, that could work, you know, that don't compete directly with, with other players. Right. Um, and then there's the, and, and that's kind of the role that the, the uh, here or uh, NAPTEC, uh, you know, uh, people have provided. And, and that's going to have to, you know, that's going to have to continue. So, you know, the way I would see it is, you know, there will be three or four companies like Apple and Google um, and others who, you know, on the tech side who will enter into this space with a full vertical solution. You know, everything from the call of the device, which could be the car, you know, to the operating system, the application, uh, et cetera. And, and, and then, you know, and then there are people who have one part of it, but, um, you know, contribute that to, you know, what ends up being inside of, let's say, a vehicle. Um, and, you know, they'll be competing, uh, you know, head-to-head. Uh, you know, I think there's room for um, um, for people coming at it from all those directions, just like, you know, we're seeing with, with connected watches today. And, you know, you have tech players, you have – and then you have some of the old line – watch companies with their own connected watches, um, and then you have some new entrants, you know, who have similar products because the embedded technology that they need to have to compete is available. Uh, the same thing is going to be true um, on the mapping and navigation side. All right, two final questions. The first one, the easiest one. The second one, the harder one. Um, so what are you up to today, and uh, what are you working on? What are you excited about? Just tell me, tell me what you're doing today. Was that the harder one or the easier one? That's the easier one. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, assuming. No. Okay, this is the harder. Well, uh, what I'm doing today is um, I, I, I'm um, sort of half of my time. I'm involved with a very exciting software company that's uh, based in Europe. Um, it's called PTV Group, and it uh, it, it develops software for modeling the uh, infrastructure of um, transportation and movement, which includes um, highways and mass transit systems and pedestrian systems and, and, and actually it tries to be able to create predictive models of what um, future um, conditions will look like under various different scenarios. So, um, you know, being able to kind of test out what the impact of closing a lane of traffic or adding a new metro stop or um, um, adding a new bus line, you know, will be on a, on a city. Um, and and uh, is also involved in similar kind of modeling and optimization of, of, um, of uh, freight movements, which include 
truck and train and uh, various other modes. So it's kind of applying you know very high level business intelligence and modeling to the the field of movement of goods and services and people. So I, you know I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and the other half of my time I'm spend, spending with young companies in various stages of startup who are in various parts of the mapping and navigation mm-hmm. uh, space doing interesting uh, things, you know, everything from real estate to um, vending machine um, technology that, you know, will help bring people who have a need with, with, uh, with the physical, to the physical goods that could satisfy that need. So, um, uh, I'm also involved in some geographic aspects of cybersecurity and privacy protection, and I have a uh, nonprofit <clears throat> called Spatial Justice, which is about um, trying to provide uh, tools to and help to nonprofits who are um, who believe that their victims, their organizations representing victims of uh, injustices based on where people live. Oh wow! Um, in other words, based on on location, yeah. Hmm. So that's that kind of fills up my weeks. All right. So this is the final question that I assumed would be the harder one, but let's see. Um, <laughs> going, I always end by asking people to to look back. Usually, it's on twenty years of, with you. It's it's thirty years of when you come out of college and um, you have this degree that your parents are like, "What are you going to do?" <laughs> but it turns out now. 30 odd years on that that it turns out that mapping and and geography and navigation tech is so crucial and key to the modern technology industry and the future um do you do you feel a little bit of vindication like uh i picked the right horse drawing those maps in school was was really uh i was right all along this is interesting stuff yeah i i, I wouldn't say i i thought you were going to say do you feel like you were lucky. Um, so, uh, if you if you feel lucky, then you can you can express that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I do feel. I I certainly feel lucky um, in, in terms of timing because it, you know as, as you alluded to early earlier, uh, I, I you know when I when I graduated, um, I I kind of knew what excited me. Um, I. I did not have any, you know, I, I was not kind of prognosticating or forecasting, you know, how things would end up developing. I mean, you, you know, clearly um, uh, the web um, and, and a lot of other things, I mean, those were just not really envisioned. Uh, technology was, I mean, uh, digital stuff. I mean, I, I knew that um, the future was digital. Um, that was fairly clear, even even back then. I didn't know what how that would manifest itself, but I knew I wanted to be involved. I mean, I you know, and I think that's kind of the way I look at it. Um, I, I I wanted to be involved uh, in you know in how this kind of um, evolves, and I, I you know I've been lucky enough to um, you know to have been involved and in, you know continue to feel that way uh, as well. So uh, I I don't feel vindicated because I never said. Uh, Hey, you know, I you know this is the way I envision the future, and you know, you guys believe me or or, or not. Um, it, it's more of, you know, I I this is what I really got excited about, and um, you know, felt there would be a future, although I didn't know exactly what it would 
you know, what it would look like. But, um, and, and I think that's um, probably not that untypical um, of how these arcs, you know, actually turn out. If it's something that you feel um, excited and passionate about um, and, and you stick with it, it may, not, it may not evolve exactly the way, you know, you, you, you think it will. And, in fact, that's why I think it's best not to, you know, hang your hat on, on a very specific way that, um, you know, t- either technologically or, or business-wise you, you, you think um, things are going to happen. But, you know, to, to, you know, be able to be there as the trends and, and um, the enabling technologies, you know, happen and take advantage of them and weave your way through that. I mean, that, that's been really the fun part. Uh, I mean, you've talked. You've talked a lot about. We've talked a lot about CD-ROM and GPS mm-hmm. and devices, and I mean, things have been changing so rapidly. And um, you know, it's um, um, it, it's kind of been like stepping stones, where the stones themselves are kind of moving, and you're mm-hmm. trying to get across the river there, and it's it's fun. Well, you know, just by doing this project, it's sort of driven home to me that the the, the key thing about the the technological revolution of the last 20 or 30 years is just that there's data out there in the world, in the universe. And all that's happened over the last 30 years is we're just making that data available instantaneously. You know, whatever that data is, you know, someone's thought what the temperature is in Paris right now, where I am on the planet, like that's what it's all about. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, maps and navigation tech is, it, it makes sense now that, that, we see that that it's so key to everything that's been happening. Right, right, exactly. Well, yeah, uh, I think you said it very well. Uh, Barry Glick, thank you so much for remembering all that, giving context to that. I, I feel like that this is a the story of navigation tech and, and how it plays into tech has been sort of underreported a little bit. And, and so I'm, I'm so thankful for you um, coming on the show and, and laying that all out for us. Sure. Happy to do it, and thanks for hosting, and I apologize for any mistakes I've made. (laughs) If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at NetHistoryPod, and my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening.